right, uh, thank you for coming. I am Peter Nybor from Livid Instruments, and this is Dylan, also known as Ill Gates, Hi, performer, teacher, and hairstylist. Yeah, it's actually uh, my wife who gives me the weird haircut. Oh, well, we thank her because that's impressive. I'm obviously we're we're starting our uh, odd couple uh, television show pitch. And so, <laughs> me, I like sweaters. Um, so what I've been playing in the background here is just some audio and video examples of early computer music production system uh, developed in Bell Labs. It's called the Graphic One system, and as you can see, it's very obscure and nothing very musical about it in terms of, you know, playing a string or beating a drum or, uh, you know, feeling a beat or getting into it. So uh, this is sort of the problem that we are facing and that at Livid Instruments we're trying to solve uh, in the products we make with, you know, this is one of the things we make, the bass controller, which is sort of a extreme drum controller. Um, and then we also have, you know, something simple like the Alias 8, which is, um, you know, you look at it, if you do any sort of music production, you understand it, right? It's a mixer. Um, but there's a lot more behind what we can do with those things. Um, in the same way that the computers that they were using for this Graphic One system were not really intended for making music, um, they ended up doing that anyway uh, because they were creative people. Um, the engineers were just interested in what you could do with this technology, and that was one of the things you could do. Uh, when it actually came time to like, like, well, we have something cool here, the engineers being John Pierce and Max Matthews, who eventually helped found Karma down at Stanford, um, they were like, well, we're just engineers, we need musicians. And so they actually had to bring musicians on board to help them you know, develop the situ situation and make it more musical. Um, so that's us, we're engineers and we're musicians, and we're trying to make musical things out of something that could be controlling, you know, furnaces for your utility company. Um, and so it's, you know, we have all these industrial knobs and controls, and we're trying to take them out of the post-war era and make something cool. Um, so what I wanted to show, and I think, you know, what Dylan is going to sort of provide the, the uh, actual performative example of and take us through some of the things that he does, and probably will actually... Actually, what he's going to do is he's going to sort of erase your memory of everything I said, probably so. <laughs> um, but I just kind of want to show like, how we take you know, some of these things and make the musical instruments and how we sort of extend the musicality or you know, what, me what is musical uh, beyond you know, the traditional musical instrument um, where you play a string or blow into a tube or uh, bow a string or hammer on a drum or something like that. Um, so let's see. I guess I just want to start with some stuff in live. Um, and show some sort of like historical things, um, which is like step sequencing. And in this case, this is really a simple way of making music and was one of the early things that we could do in with the original synthesizers and music making machines. And you just... You know, you're punching in numbers, punching in places for music to go. Um, but you can also, you know, say, oh, I want to play my own rhythm. So that's pretty simple. And the cool thing about this is that it works pretty seamlessly into your production workflow. You know, it sort of provides you with clips that you can then edit. 
um, and bring into your project and just start, you know, you know, making these things, uh, producing them, I should say, instead of just making them. Um, and you can, you know, the nice thing about these things is that just from one spot, you can just take a, uh, you know, go on to another instrument. So we've got a drum track going, and this is, I'm sorry, it's not as cool because I'm talking and playing and trying to, uh, <laughs> trying to uh, do too many things at once. So the beat is not totally cool. So I can play around with the sound a little bit. All right, that's good. Uh, maybe I can just go ahead and overdub that. So again, you know, it's like, okay, we've got something going, and, you know, the this is where the industrial efficiency really starts to kick in with electronic music. It's like, you've got something going, and then you can just start iterating on it. And that's sort of the genius of engineering, I suppose. So these are sort of built-in functions, and another thing we like to do is sort of, you know, program, you know, extra things, extra interesting ideas that are just slightly left of center. Um, so this is Ableton Live, and Ableton Live has this really fantastic feature called Max for Live, which is a programming environment that allows you to sort of do anything you want within, you know, with, with electronic music. Um, that's sort of the simple version. Um, so I can go back here, and as you'll notice, I'm sort of pressing these buttons and going back to these different modes and changing tracks. But it's all still the same instrument, you know. It's a it's a drum, it's a bass instrument, um, and it's going to be now just some sort of lead instrument. So now it's a mixer, and now I can instead of you know linking directly into clips, I can just start playing with this Max for Live instrument, which is a software instrument controlled by a hardware instrument. Um, I can go ahead and. Just immediately change some presets. I can go ahead and quickly, as you can see, those orange dots on the bottom there, just rotating the, just rotating the content, which is not something you would do on a guitar. Rotate, you know, rotation of your musical notes um, according to some sort of algorithm is not something you're going to do on a guitar. Um, and then, of course, I can add in steps. So, as you can see, you know, that's maybe not the best musical idea, <laughs> but it is an idea, and it's, it's a germ, you know, and so it's like now I can be infected and just start iterating, and instead of, you know, sort of, it's, it's only, you know, in a lot of ways, it's only a slight difference in terms of interface between, like, I could do a lot of these things with the mouse and with the keyboard that exists on this, um, but, you know, the nice thing about this is that it's also pressure sensitive, so you have that sort of, you know, uh, sensory input, your body, that's the type of thing that's really important to that, you know, music and mind connection. Uh, it's really cosmic. Did anybody see Mickey Hart? <laughs> I just want to say cosmic. <laughs> the swarms. Um, so, you, you know, so that's the, again, it's like, it's this industrial appliance, but it's just so slightly different. It's built for your hands rather than your, you know, typing out fingers. It's built for um, you know, your body interacting with sound rather than typing uh, 
a letter to grandma. Uh, so, or typing out you know, an invoice for uh, whale oil or something like that. Um, I just read Moby Dick. I just, you know, so good. <laughs> so cosmic. Um, so, you know, that's just sort of like one example of we could, what we can do with that. Um, I have another example of what, how we can sort of, you know, change. And this is just, as an aside, this is sort of our sales pitch for Livid is that we sort of make adaptable instruments, right? So, there's nothing on here that says key of C. There's nothing here that says play or stop. There's nothing that says record. Um, there's nothing that says, you know, make my hit song, uh, which is, you know, really hard in terms of, like, you know, getting people into it. But when people see it and they have, you know, a sort of creative idea, they're like, oh, wait, I can actually make this thing, you know, sort of bend to my will rather than me having to expressly adapt to what its will is. Um, and as a result, it allows me the flexi allows the flexibility to you know go through you know here I'm using it in Ableton Live, uh, but Bitwig Studio oh we can design something for that and there's not really any sort of bias that these things carry with them. Um, so in this case, I like this I like this example of using uh, the Alias Eight. Oh, I need to turn on audio here and. So again, this is, you know, you look at this and you think, oh, it's a mixer, you know, right, okay, so I can affect the, the volume, and I have a master volume here, and I can clip my tracks, and so I can bring it down a little bit, and I have sends, and I can mix music, like, you know, in a big studio, um, and so I have this, again, this weird uh, angular obtuse music going on, but again, you know, we can redefine all of these controls instantly with, you know, sort of the power of digital control, um, and now it becomes something completely different. You know, this is not, you know, this is a kind of a benefit and, and a negative in some ways because, you know, now this is not master volume. It's actually changing octaves for my step sequencer, right? And so now I have like this very sort of old school step sequencer that is not going to really respect, you know, the key of whatever we want to play in, we're going to get these weird sounds. And we also have, you know, as you might want in a modular synthesizer or hardware synthesizer, control over the timbre of the sound that we're working with. So we can just continually play and experiment and make strange sounds. Um, and again, you know, it's like this is not this is not going to get played on KFOG, and I'm not going to get, you know, I'm not going to be making hits instantly from this. But it's like it's changed. Here, there we go. Um, the thing I like to say about it is that it allows you to play. It allows you to babble with these things, um, and take your music in different directions that are unexpected, you actually have some element of surprise, an element of um, discovery that you're not going to get if, you know, you're always focused on pressing play or establishing, you know, following a strict workflow. Um, and it sort of takes you back to that, you know, this is based on the classical se you know, step sequencer that you would find, you know, in the 70s on an analog synthesizer. Uh, but it has a lot of the advantages of, being digital because, you know, oh, hey, look, I can actually edit each one of those pieces individually. 
uh, I can start from this weird obtuse melody and sort of craft it to my liking and then build from that. Um, so these are some of these, you know, and I guess, you know, the title of this, the title of this talk or this presentation with us is From the Studio to the Stage, and it's really about taking these sort of real-time interactions and playfulness and uh, spontaneousness and bringing that into, um, into the studio and onto the stage. You know, these don't have to be the center of your workflow. They can also be just sort of like an adjunct to it. Um, so, yeah, I think those are a couple of the primary examples I wanted to show, um, and I have some more stuff I can show if we have time. But I do want to turn it over to Dylan, who is waiting here patiently. And I know he's got some great stuff to rock for you. And we'll be showing, like, okay, well, those are some great ideas, but now he's manifested some, now he's actually manifested it into, like, a livelihood. <laughs> and a creative, a creative building endeavor. So, yes, Dylan. Cheers. All right, well, thank you so much, Peter. And uh, I'd, I'd just like to give shouts out to Livid, the company that makes these MIDI controllers. They're fantastic controllers, and I use them all the time. And uh, although what you're about to see is not performed on a Livid controller, if we swapped USBs, it could be. So uh, yeah, here, I'm going to, rather than talk about things, uh, I'm just going to show you something. So here we go.
Yeah, so that's, that's what happens when you get your hands dirty. All right, so what I just showed you was a display of uh, what's known as finger drumming for obvious reasons. If anyone has a cooler name, let us know because we really, really need one. But for <laughs> now, the hashtag to look up if you care about performances like that is finger drumming. It's, it's cooler than MIDI, I have to say. Yeah, this committee is pretty pretty dorky, <laughs> dorky name too. But basically, what was happening there is I was using my hands to trigger this grid of sounds. Okay, so basically, these sixteen pad grids that you would trigger on a MIDI controller like this—that's basically like the acoustic guitar of electronic music. Any music production program, whether it's like on your phone or in your computer or what, is going to have a 16-pad grid that you can load samples into. And if you can learn to create a performance or create what, what a lot of people call a sound pack with those grids, then you can produce music on any piece of shit computer or telephone or, you know, uh, uh, iPad or whatever, right? And... Um, a lot of people, they kind of see this as a way to basically take your, um, you know, to, to make like a, a routine, like the one that I just performed there, but they don't really see the applicability of that in, in terms of like the studio, right? But basically, you know, you can use these sound packs and you can use these grids of sounds while you're writing and while you're on the stage. So when I'm, I'm figuring out what the groove of my track is going to be, Usually, I mean, any kind of a groove can be broken down into 16 triggers or less, especially if you're making it for dance music, because really, you know, human beings have two arms, they have two legs, one pair of hips, you know, one pair of shoulders. There's how many, how many sounds do you really need if you're going to dance to them, you know? I mean, if you want to compose dance music for interdimensional octopus creatures, then sure, use Cosmic. 50 million. <laughs> yeah, so if you want to compose heavily cosmic music for interdimensional <laughs> octopus creatures, then yeah, you know, have a million sounds. But um, a lot of the time, through kind of intelligent programming, you can make these 16 pads count a lot more. So sometimes, you know, a pad might trigger a little recording of a melody, or it might trigger, you know, something that's a little more complicated, right? So in this case, right, what I've done here is I've created a routine by taking the finished master recording of my track and setting different cue points within that recording, right? So when I'm playing this, right, I'm not actually like, you know, I mean, yes, it's, it's, it, the performance is live and the performance is created using my hands, but what I'm actually playing is the same piece of audio that the person who bought the record would be playing in their DJ set. And the reason why is because on a large sound system, you know, when you're talking like 50,000 plus watts of sound, unless you have a mixing engineer who's touring with you with a multi-channel mix coming from the stage who's like adjusting all of the parameters, you want to play like a mastered 
piece of audio, unless you have like a very, very good relationship with the sound guy that, or, or girl that you are bringing with you, um, you know, it's, it's often best to play music that is mastered and ready for a large sound system. So through using these, these sound packs, um, you're able to kind of have your cake and eat it too in terms of like live performance that sounds as though the recording is mastered, right? So uh, I want to just show you kind of briefly a few of the things that, yeah, yes, you have a question? Question. So the song that you just played, for instance, or anything that you would play live would be maybe stems from like mixed mastered songs of yours that you're chopping up and putting, yes. putting into Ableton and then setting cue points for track for track. Totally. But in this song. case, it was the actual master recording. Like that was not the stems. Oh, okay. Yeah, that was the actual master recording. But um, each pad is programmed with a very kind of specific behavior, but they're all based on the master recording. Do you have to have a delay or a reverb on any of those tracks? To uh, make yes, there is a famous? delay and reverb inside of the sound pack, but basically by using these, these guys, which are called drum racks, right? Um, if you expand inside the drum rack, you'll see that, and here, I can expand it up at the top here, and you can see each one of the pads has its own channel, Right, And then on each one of those channels, there's a sampler. So in this case, this is just a cue point in the original recording. And that's, you know, whenever I trigger one of my bank change buttons, these ones up the top. So you see, it triggers the... Uh, triggers the full recording, but then as soon as I start playing, that stops and I take over. But the entire time, the audience is listening to the master of the track. So the audio stays mixed perfectly, mastered perfectly, like, ready to go. And as long as you don't hit too many pads at once, then uh, you, you will retain the, the clarity of the mix. So this, is, um, this, this process can be done with stems, but I chose this particular example um, to show that you don't actually need stems, that you, can, that you can do it with the master recording if you program it properly. Uh, and basically these, these sound pack style performances are becoming increasingly popular because, I mean, it, well, it's, it's a, it comes from a long tradition of, of, in electronic music that goes back to devices like the MPC-2000, which was this big cash register looking thing that cost like a couple thousand dollars and had about eight seconds of sample memory in it. And every hip hop record from the whole golden era of hip hop was made on them. And, uh, Really, like the you know the philosophy behind that programming was really like you know if you have eight seconds of memory total in your sampler, you're going to make really certain that every single one of those pads has just the right sound on it, right? And it's uh, it's a kind of attitude that really um, helps to cut through a lot of the. Uh, the kind of option overload that producers face these days, you know, and it's very easy to end up with a song that has 200 channels in it and all these placeholder sounds that might be in the finished product and might not, you know, and when you actually like create this set of limitations, it forces you to be more creative than you would be if you started your thinking outside of the box. You need a box to think inside of before you can think outside of that box, if that makes any sense, right? So by embracing these limitations and defining your own approach those limitations, you could create your own individual style and your own individual template that 
you know, starts to sound increasingly characteristic and increasingly idiosyncratic until you develop a style where other people can sound like you as opposed to you just assembling a collage of your musical instruments, your musical influences, you know? So these um, sound packs are a great way to kind of get in touch with that thinking in terms of creating your own set of limitations that are going to define you like a manifesto or a style. Uh, they're a great way of just cutting through the extraneous option overload and minimizing your thinking when it comes to producing in the studio. And they're a great bridge to making people understand what it is that you're actually doing and what it is that you want them to, to feel, what it is that you're trying to express on the stage. Because most people, when you know, you're talking to people who are not electronic music fans, you know, their complaints about DJs are they don't do anything and they just play other people's music. You know, and really, um, you know, YouTube and the increase in people VJing and stuff has allowed producers to really invite people inside of their music through these performances. And in recent years, there's been this phenomenon of uh, stars, you know, finger drumming stars who are actually playing their music live. Guys like Arab Music and uh, um, Maddion and Jeremy Ellis. Now that people are starting to understand and be able to appreciate. Uh, what goes into the programming of these sound packs and can appreciate the playing that you know many of these people have translated sound pack YouTube videos into very successful careers. So really what I'm trying to say here is that sound packs and finger drumming are not just for people who are trying to make a routine to do live, right? Or people who are playing in a band, but really they're you know, a, a tool for people in the studio, you know, a way to, to kind of streamline your thinking, streamline your workflow, to store your work in the library, because you can just take one of these packs once it's made and uh, drag, you know, drag it over from here into the library and then save it, right? And then you can develop a library with like hundreds of these things there that become these like interchangeable musical Legos that allow you to, to completely turn a track on its head halfway through or make alternate versions of things quite easily. Um, and then I think also really one of the best things about sound packs is that they provide uh, a starting point for people who are getting into electronic music. And you can load up a sound pack and just put a MIDI controller in front of your friend's kid and just watch their face light up as they have a musical experience that could change their life, you know? So really, it's not just for live performance. You know, sound packs are the bridge between the studio and the stage and a great way to reach out to people who are aspiring producers and uh, young people who could be potentially interested and have their lives enriched by electronic music. Okay, you had a, you had a question? Yeah. Their files on their computer, and if you know your comment right there just uh, sparked a question like, do you design and sort of organize and save on your computer um, these sound packs given the interface, or are th what other considerations? That's that's a great question, and I, I've often asked that question at other panels. Okay, so um, there's organizing your tracks, and then there's organizing the elements of your tracks. To organize the elements of your tracks, you'd use the library. And you can see here in the library tab, any, any software will have this, but in the library tab, uh, that's where all of the presets are. And a lot of people, they think that the library is just for people who are hacks and they can't make their own sounds. 
It's much deeper than that. The library is where you can store your own sounds and you can you know, modularize your music and make it into useful tools. So um, when I, like some of these places here, I always put an exclamation mark at the beginning of anything that's like mine or super important because that pops it to the top of the alphabetical list. Right, so I'll use an exclamation mark or sometimes a tilde, and then you know within that I'll have like you can see here I'll have like you know my sound packs here, uh, inserts, you know leads, patches, etc., etc., etc. And then when I'm in the studio, you know I can go into my 2014 folder and have all the presets I made that year, or you know go into the different library folders or whatever. But I just use typically just make my own folders. Don't worry too much about organization and use exclamation marks to pop them to the top. So now, as far as organizing tracks is concerned, that's a great question. Um, I, a lot of people perform with Ableton, and they'll create these giant sets with tons and tons and tons of clips in them, and you end up playing things because they're both orange or they're next to each other. And that's, you know, arguably not the most relevant reason to be selecting the next song to play. So uh, I created this system that I call making clip packs, and these clip packs, right, uh, I have them in a folder in Finder, Right? And the clip packs, I'll warp the song, which is basically beat matching it, you know, showing the timeline, how to interact with the piece of audio. Then I drag the clips into the browser, and I'll name them. And it'll say BPM, artist name, track name, and then search tags. And then once I've selected the appropriate track, I can drag it in. And then now that's brought in that track. There's four cue points within that track. They're mapped onto my controller, and I can adjust them. And uh, this one often neglected part, as you can see here, there's just search tags. And these are just adjectives to describe uh, a track. So, you know, when I need more, like, ghetto bass music for girls, <laughs> then I can go call that up right there, and there's a list of options for me to take the set in any direction that I want at any given point. But yeah, so it's uh, really the exclamation marks are a big part of it, and then clip packs and search tags. Good question. So there's, like, there's basically sort of a, a whole like, secretarial aspect to it that you, that you have, where you're like, okay, I need to basically create a database, and you, you know, I'm just going to tag everything, and you have to be very anal about it and meticulous and... And it's probably pretty boring. Yeah, it's super boring. You don't <laughs> tell anyone at the party about that part. It just, just magically happens. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's see. What do I have here? Uh, actually, you know what? That's, that's, we're in danger of sidetracking the workshop. We're, we're on a bit of a timeline, so I think I'm going to skip it. I have a it. question you, it's, uh, regarding your clip pack strategy. Yes. And uh, in Ableton, you can create sound packs, but is there an actual clip pack um, is it just a file that you have? Oh, okay. A folder you call clip packs? Or are you creating um, a session that has a track with a bunch of clips in it? Yeah, or? basically I would get to this point by warping a track and then setting and naming these cue points here. You know, so you can see they start in different points. And this one's like two bars before the drop. So it says two before drop. So it's yeah. essentially a track. Yeah, these are cue points within a song, yeah. right? Okay. And then I would you know, when I'm ready to save that, uh, I would select that and then drag it over to the folder inside of the browser, which is this folder in Finder. But the reason I use Finder is because the searching is better. Um, but, you know, uh, you could use the Ableton browser. It's just once you have like a couple thousand clip packs, it starts to become a little problematic to use the Ableton browser. Yeah, that, so I, I was going to ask you if you had Finder. any tips about using their... Um what is it? It's like an analyzer that wants to index your 
your oh, drives? I, yeah, I don't use it for the, the live performance. And every now and then, it'll do something automatic that breaks my library, and I get really upset about it. Can you, um, you just disable that function? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> um, but if you do, the mysteries. <laughs> if you do uh, want to know in more detail how I prepare these clip packs, if you look up Ill Gates Clip Pack Tutorial, there's a free video that I put up on Vimeo that goes, it's about 10 minutes long, and I cover it in as much detail as you could ever like. Uh, and it will, you know, we'll, Thank you. we'll go through that. But yeah, uh, but yeah, the clip pack system. And also, it's important to note that the clip pack system can be for more than uh, for more than just tracks. You can use it, like let's say you brought in a bunch of MIDI files. If you brought those MIDI files onto an empty channel, it would call up all of the presets and automation for that patch. So, and you can have multi-channel clip packs. So as long as you have like four blank MIDI tracks, if you just dragged a clip pack onto it, it could call up like a drum machine on one and a bass line on the other, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it's really, um, you know, it, it's, uh, it's a really effective way to, to store your work inside of Ableton. And it, it pretty much any DAW will have, uh, will have a similar system. Yeah, I mean, it seems like what you have here is like, okay, this is sort of your central, you know, informative principle, but it seems like there's so many opportunities for augmentation around this. Like, okay, so you have this, but there's no reason why you couldn't just have like a, an 808 drum machine, you know, depending on your scene, totally. like you could throw an 808 drum machine on another, on another track and then have another controller just like, okay, well, I'm going to, you know, knock that out, shift it around with some effects, you know, keep playing this. And another thing that I think is intriguing about what you have here is that it's kind of, like you said, it's like the acoustic guitar, but it's, you know, maybe more literal, more literal than you realize because it's like, right now it's not making any noise, you know, like why press play when I was doing my examples, there was sort of like this constant, pro constant audible process, you know, whereas it's like, well, you set up this limitation. It's like, well, I have to press a button if there needs to be a sound. Yeah. More, I mean, obviously you press the sound and you're like, okay, I can take a break, let this ride. Yeah, and now I can inject some stuff, but it's like, yeah, your finger pretty much needs to be on it. Just like, you know, a real instrument, you know, you have to, a guitar doesn't make any noise unless you interact with it. Um, and that's, that's sort of like the, the balancing, you know, like I personally am, I, I like that, you know, but it's like when you're sort of a casual music maker, you don't get the chance for the, to, to do the, to get the virtuosity to, to make that sound good. So, you know, it's like, it's nice to have the traditional step sequences. Yeah, always, typically got a clock in my live performances, and you can see here in this template, um, that these are, these are just DJ channels where I would be playing recorded audio and then when the time comes for me to do my performance, you know, I would switch over to to like a, a more live modality. But um, it's something that I, 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 it's not like when you go see me, it's like I'm finger drumming the entire set. You know, that would become a bit indulgent, especially if people are trying to dance. Um, but... Um, but you know, it's 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 just it's another tool in the arsenal. But the thing that I love about it is sixteen MIDI notes is just so easy for everybody to understand. And when they can see your hands directly actually generating the audio results, it's a great way to just invite people into the performance and help them to understand that electronic music. You know, I mean, the back of a laptop can be like the Berlin Wall. You know, if you let it be that way. You know, and it's just. Uh, I don't know, I really like to invite people in and say, like, hey, this is really fun, and, you know, maybe you want to get your hands dirty yourself, you know? Yeah, I think there's sort of that, there are a lot of uh, amateur fans in the audience, you know, and that's sort, of, that's sort of a new thing, I think, to the music tradition, you know, because it's like, I think, and that came with the electric guitar, because the electric guitar was 
and seemingly so accessible. And it's like one of the easiest instruments to learn is the guitar. And, you know, you can pretty much do anything to it. It pretty much always sounds good, you know. And, but that didn't really intrude on its validity as, a, as an artistic format. No one was like, oh, well, that's just a guitar. You're not a real musician. You know, whereas like computer music, kind of technologically technology-based music is always facing that. And part of that is because, you know, like the, the video I was showing, it's like, oh, I'm not up here, but it's, you know, you have these weird, obscure machines that are doing a lot of work, you know, for you. And, and when it first started, none of the music you weren't interacting with things real time. You'd do all this stuff and engineering and calculating and guessing, and you'd put a punch card in it, and then you'd get your music a few hours later. Um, you know, and so that, that tradition has sort of colored a lot of what we do, too, you know, and still battling it, and I think. <laughs> I, the way I like to put it to people is, um, you know, would you criticize a film director for not playing the lead? <laughs> you know, like it's the same sort of thing. They're right. just different art forms, you know. And creating electronic music, it can be like playing the guitar, or it can be like using Photoshop. It just depends on what, you know, what your approach is and what you want those tools to be, because they're ultimately just a mirror for your own mind. They're a mirror for your own creativity. So, what what does your creativity tell you that you should do with them? Here a question in the back. Uh, I got a question for both of you, actually. Dylan, is there any interfaces that you use more to kind of sketch out an idea as opposed to perform the, the track live? And Peter, I hate to ask this question, but that looks an awful lot like the Ableton Push controller. Is there anything that it does differently that separates it from that? Yeah, you can use it in Bitwig. <laughs> you can use it in Reason. You know, I, and, it, and, it's, and you can also, you know, like I said, there's no label on it that says play. You can use it for lighting. You can use it for video. And yeah, you can kind of do that with a push. Yeah, you can kind of But it is not designed for that, you know, and like, and it's kind of a challenge for us, you know, right, because it's like, there is no, there is no sort of baby-proof mode to this. It's not like it does one thing and that's it, you know, but... Uh, once you once you get past that, you realize like, oh, this is something I can grow with, you know. And you're going to be constantly modulating, you know, even more so now because it's like you're not going to be married to necessarily to an environment, you know. This can this can just play, uh, you know, a particular synth that you're interested in or drum drum racks. You know, you've got, um, you know, 32 things that you can play with your hands, and all, you can do it all expressively. Um, and yeah, then there are some finer differences between you know this and the push. It's smaller, it's more portable, it's easier to get around. There's no moving parts, um, and it, and it also does aftertouch, which is pretty cool if you're into the really weird synthesizers. Can you pro- <laughs> yeah, can program aftertouch? <laughs> can you program automation into that also? Like using that device, can you program the automation? Oh yeah, you can. Pro- oh, I mean that's environment dependent. It's not going to be in the the automation is not going to be in the device. It's going to be in the software. So yeah, you can record your automation as you're doing things live, which is, you know, a super fun thing to do. Do you guys have a demo of that while you're here at all? Hold on. Uh yeah, I could probably demo that. No, no, I mean like somewhere where I can come up and try to play around on that and see yeah, how it yeah. works. Yeah, I could, after, you mean afterwards? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, 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 I could show you that. Sweet. Just come up afterwards, I could show you. Does it come pre-mapped or do you do all those mapping? We do, it's both. It's like we do, um, for some environments like Bitwig, Reason, and Ableton Live, we have a lot of scripts that, are, you know, so you, and we have, you know, documentation of how all of these things map to all these different environments depending on, you know, where you're at. It sort of adapts to, you know, like, oh, you're on a drum rack. Okay, so these play drums, you know. Oh, you're on a synthesizer. This is going to play a scale. Oh, you want to play a minor scale or 
you know, or a, you know, you can make those make those changes uh, accordingly and program them into your environment. So then you just sort of when you're flipping through. I mean, there is that boring secretarial aspect to it. There is some you know management you have to do with these things. But you know, even with that simple device, you, you know, like <laughs> you're still you're still running your database. You know, yeah. and I think another comment I wanted to make was that I think that's interesting. You're like you need these master tracks because you can't depend on you know, your sound guy making it sound good. And I think, I think that's a really interesting aspect of, you know, all of this is that, you know, the technology sort of levels the playing field in so many ways, but it's, you know, the music industry has also taken it sort of a hit from the technology and made it harder for a lot of artists to persevere in what they're doing. And that's like, that's just sort of like a classic, like little detail, like, okay, well, you know what? I'm just not gonna be able to have my sound guy. I'm not gonna be able to rely on a good sound guy. I need to. I need to deal with that. Here's my solution for it. You know, I think well, that's pretty it, cool. That especially if it's like a DJ show, you know, because most sound guys they just look and right. they're like, oh, it's another DJ. Yeah. And then they practice the the set and forget policy where they just slap a limiter on it and then go go drink and complain. <laughs> so you know, I mean, it is always still even if you are doing a DJ set, it's very important to make friends with the sound guy, make them see you as a human being and want you're set to be good because it is ultimately their hand on the volume uh, at any show and not yours. Um, but, you know, really, like, a lot of this technology is allowing us to do what it would take, you know, a room full of people to do in the past. But, you know, we're, we're automating that. But at the same time, now the standard has been set where it's like you and your backpack how are you going to fill that whole stage? How are you going to make sure that all those hundreds of people have fun? How are you and you alone going to make sure that that sound system sounds good. So, you know, I mean, yes, the capabilities have have become larger, but it's right. also you, your understanding has yeah, to yeah. become larger <laughs> to match to match it. Your understanding has to become larger, and you have to you have to be prepared to do to be you know to wear all of the hats. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I had a comment actually to something you said earlier about a guitar. No one would ever be accused of not being a musician if they pulled out a guitar because it's not technically you know whatever cheating but you, it, it actually was at, at a point in time considered a crutch right i bet because the, yeah. the frets on a guitar allow a, a person who doesn't have a perfect pitch to play the guitar and right. fret each note and and make that note make sense and create like harmonic music same with a piano basically took a harp and created the ability to play a harp without having to have perfect pitch. Same with a microphone. A singer, once upon a time, had to have a set of lungs that could create a, a sound that would fill up a room. And, and, and when someone like Billie Holiday came along, if there were no microphones, she would have had no career. Yeah. But no one's going to say... Billy Holly cheated <laughs> as a singer today. I'm going to start saying that. No one's going no to say that today, but trust me, people did say that about yeah. her when she was coming around. So all technology has done in the past is created and faci facilitated um, people to be able to, to make music, to express yeah, yeah. themselves. Like you said, it's a mirror of your, of your mind. And, uh, and then the other thing about your Livid pad being compared to a launch pad Oh, he's comparing to the push. I, or to, to the push, push, push. Yeah, which is, you know, a formidable. It's a guitar. It's yeah. just the same thing. Uh, <laughs> you look at a guitar hanging on the wall in, in Guitar Center, and unless it has, like, a, a skull encrusted on it, you're not going <laughs> to assume that that guitar is going to be used to 
to play any style. It's up to the player yeah. to, to point that guitar in the direction of the style that it ultimately is going to make. And I think that that's what the, the Livid or any MIDI controller is the same thing. It's yeah. just there, and it's up to the user. Like uh, Bob Moog's whole concept with his, his Moog synthesizer wasn't here. This I made this tool so that you can make this kind of sound. It was the complete opposite. It's like here is a facilitator to create any kind of sound you can think of and go for it like do yeah, something Yeah, he had no it. idea. It yeah. wasn't until they came out to the West Coast with the thing at the it, it you know, I think it was at AES in like 68 or something like. It came out and it was like then all like doing? the psychedelic yeah. psychedelic guys came down from Topanga and they saw it and they're like, "Dude, you got to check this out." And then yeah. it was like <laughs> But I mean, there was one guy who came up with the synth bass. I mean, Bernie Worrell created synth bass. Yeah from using a Moog synthesizer, but it wasn't the Moog synthesizer that created synth bass. It right. was Bernie's brain that thought it up. So anyway, that's just... Thank you for mentioning Bernie Weil, by the way. <laughs> Anytime. <laughs> yeah, those are great comments. <laughs> yep. Go ahead. familiar with Tractor and Serato and plugging in through the DJ mixer. Um, when it comes to live sound, I'm curious about how on stage and even now, out of these speakers, how you're getting maximum audio quality, because you were talking about master audio quality. I, I'm curious how you're getting such great sound coming out of the computer and on stage as well to maintain the quality. Um, yeah, right now uh, I'm using a, a sound card, and if you use the uh, eighth-inch jack, the little headphone jack on your laptop, uh, on any sound system that's bigger than this one, it's going to sound terrible. Like, it really, it has this kind of two-dimensional tone, and the highs get really jangly and stuff. So um, usually you'll have to rely on uh, a sound card. Not all sound cards are created equal, and a lot of the prosumer sound cards are absolutely horrible. So um, I've had a lot of bad experiences with sound cards over the years. I had... Um, uh, I had one of them like just do some automated driver update that destroyed the bootloader on my computer right before I went to go on stage to film a workshop. And I had to actually uh, uh, boot my computer in target disk mode and like use another computer because it was just like all warnings in Japanese. <laughs> and that was that was from a Native Instruments, uh, uh, the little two-channel DJ sound cards. The uh, Yeah. So that'll, that'll happen. Um, if you're a Serato user, you should know that Serato and Ableton can share Serato hardware because of that one-night stand they had called Bridge. So they can share hardware without it crashing. So when I play out, I use Serato sound cards because they are rugged as all that. And um, then I also do video sets. So I use Serato for playing the mastered audio, like DJ tracks and the videos. Uh, and then I'll use Ableton in the background for the additional like live performances and finger drumming and stuff. But you can totally use both of them at once. Uh, and I found the Serato sound cards are really, really, really tough. But um, if you're just looking for uh, a small sound card that's going to be extremely professional sounding, I would recommend the RME Babyface and avoid Apogee like the plague. I can't even tell you. I've had those things. I'd, Flew all the way to Africa to play for Red Bull, and it bailed on me like on stage, like just totally, just random. Didn't even, I wasn't even on the internet, and it just started barfing like horrible digital noise over the sound system, and I had to like 
you know, end my set attraction. Oh, sure. Blame it on it happened at the end. <laughs> uh, this is an RME Babyface. Any of the RME sound cards are fantastic, but they're not cheap. Um, but, but yeah, you really have to watch out. Um, but I've I've had luck with the Serato stuff. Yeah, USB. Yeah, the computer you can use either a Serato mixer like controller. They have a lot of controllers that are also DJ mixers, or you can use the Serato hardware that connects to, um, you know, it connects to a pair of turntables or CDJs. But they will work with Ableton. Yeah, yeah, there. Yeah, you're going into the um, USB to the sound card. But yeah, definitely choose your sound card carefully. Okay. Any other uh, any other questions? Yeah. You, you guys said you were looking for a new name instead of finger drumming? Yeah, yeah. I thought of something. Oh, okay. oh cool, what do you cool. Paw to da. Paw to da. I like it. I like it. That's, that's good. It's going to ring. That's nice. <laughs> hashtag cool. paw to da. Yeah, totally. That's, I'm totally going to start hashtagging that. Hopefully it'll catch on. <laughs> I, like the, I, like the, I like the reference of hands as paws. It's, it all fits into the whole kitten on YouTube thing, I think. Quite Sweet. Nicely. <laughs> yeah, if you ever want to know how to promote yourself, um, put cat pictures and then have a link to your website and just <laughs> Facebook, just hit the gas pedal. It's like cheating at Facebook. Right, like, yeah. screw the metrics. Pro tip, know. pro tip, cat pictures win every time. Put a puppy on it. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> any, other, uh, any other questions about any of this stuff? Live performances and... Um, I think you had a question oh. that got kind of like you had two questions. You're trying to like double it up there, um, but you. Oh, you got this. Well, what was it? What was it about? Oh, okay. Um, yeah. Uh, yes, I do. Um, I don't really use my Serato controllers very much in the studio unless I'm doing like scratches. Um, but uh, one thing that I found is like. Um, uh, really, really useful. I actually didn't bring it today, but um, uh, just having another controller that is hooked up to uh, the looper. And when I'm writing, I'll be jamming and I'll hit the looper and it will record a loop of the audio. But one of the great things about a looper is that you can just drag the audio from the looper into your track and then be like, okay, that's a sample now and we can start using it. So if you have any kind of a second controller that's just the like, oh shit, this is awesome button, make that. Because a lot of the time what will happen is you'll be jamming on whatever controller and you'll be like, oh, this sounds awesome. I'm totally feeling this. Okay, great. Let's get ready to record. And then you go over and you get your engineer hat on and you make a new channel and you set it to get ready to record. You make sure you're like, check, check. It's working, it's working. Okay. And then you're like, okay, ready? And suck. And you're just terrible, you know? And it's just like that psychological moment of like unplugging from studio world. So just having any kind of a controller, you can even use a key on the computer keyboard that's the like, this is awesome button. And just have it hooked up to the looper and you can just instantly record. So I have it like, you know, I'll have one on my master or whatever. But just having like some controller that's just always there with that button. That's yeah, probably can, the biggest thing when you're sketching ideas. You can do it with a looper, but you could also just resample your, your master into another audio track. But then you've got to set up a new audio track and go through menus. And oh, stuff. well, I mean, if you yeah, just do that as a, as, a, as a point of habit, you know, yeah. if you're just like, okay, well, this is my resampling track, and just run everything into that, and then just be like, okay, then, you know, press a button, and it'll start recording to that. Would that be bringing a phase to the studio? <laughs> that, that's exactly yeah, it, yeah. Totally, I mean, it really totally. is a... 
It's both. It's, 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 it's a two-way, bi-directional thing. What was your question over here? Okay, um, this is more related to live production and DAWs. I wanted to know, is there, opinion-wise, is there a better DAW to use if you're doing live production? Uh, if you're actually wanting to do things live, I would definitely recommend Ableton Live. Um, it's that's like kind of you know basically the the main idea of it, but um, yeah, like it's it's just great. It's really great. Uh, Bitwig, I haven't tried. Bitwig is super live, cool. Yeah, it has Bitwig's almost cool. all the features of Ableton, so Bitwig yeah. would probably be. I mean, I can speak to it a little bit because I've 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 worked with it a little bit, not not in a production capacity, but in designing our instruments to work for it. And as far as like the sound quality, the instruments, the the, the workflow, and ease of use. If you're just starting out, I would definitely be like, okay, I want to check out Bitwig, check out Live. You know, there's a few like little things that are going to be different, but um, it's definitely viable. And there's, I think, a really nice things that it's going to do in the future. You know, as far as like they have a lot of room to grow, whereas Ableton has a lot of legacy to to deal with. So, you know, but that said, I mean, Live is just insanely awesome too. So, I, you know, I don't know. <laughs> but really one of those two, you know, the only, the only thing that I think that other people would be interested in is like, well, a lot of times, like, you know, for example, Logic has a lot of um, specific instruments and samplers and workflows that, you know, can create a particular sound that people really like. Um, and, you know, it has like a lot of great amp simulations and stuff like that. So it's like, if you're into like, especially if you're in, in, into using guitar or anything like that, Logic is awesome. You know, because you can really just sort of play around with so many different tones and um, really start, you know, breaking things out like that. But, you know, as far as, like, the ability to go from the studio and the stage and back and forth, like, Bitwig and Live are really great for that because they're clip-based workflow. Yeah, shoot. One thing, uh, so we had Arab Music last year. For, awesome. Uh, for uh, New Year's at Temple. Sweet. And uh, he used, still uses real MPCs, which is those big cash yeah, register yeah. machines the 2500s two of them at the same time which yeah, is kind of it's kind of crazy but i had to explain over and over to everyone that worked at, works at the venue as you sound check that he's he's done all the work ahead of time of all the chops like and he plays literally an hour set it's playing mental. everything yeah, yeah. with it's his mental. hands yeah he's i mean he did his sound check on his cell phone he was literally playing the songs but he was on his phone talking Time, um, at the same time, like it's he has it so down, but the work is all done at home ahead of time, and obviously yeah. he still has to have rhythm and dexterity to play it. But the work is all the real work is done at home. Yeah, totally, totally, and it's really like you know the more the more prep you can do, the less you have to think about while you're performing, and the more you can remain in that moment with the audience. You know, and that's why like you know the prep work that you don't tell any of the like you know girls in the front row about is so important you know like that's really that's what makes on, it girls easy. girls love prep work come on <laughs> <laughs> sorry i'm the guy in the sweater cool any other uh, any other questions i think our time is up okay cool if you guys have pens i'm gonna give you some homework <laughs> Wait, okay. give us, let's give our URLs first. Yeah, okay. Oh, yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> we got two uh, minutes. I'm give our URLs. easily available at illgates.com. Uh, pretty easy to remember. It's like Bill Gates with no B. Put a .com on the end. You're there. Yeah, and we're at liveatinstruments.com. Uh, we're on Facebook and Twitter mostly in terms of social omniverse, the social cosmic verse. And, uh, yeah, and we've got a website, web shop, and we're available retail worldwide, so...
Cool. All right. So if you guys uh, want to learn about sound packs and music, uh, you know, playing music live, you should definitely check out a guy called Mad Zach. He's like uh, the main guy from DJ Tech Tools. He gave me this MIDI fighter uh, when I was first starting my quest to take my music to a live dimension. Uh, he's really fantastic. Jeremy Ellis is the main native instruments, like finger drumming dude to check out. Uh, he has a Ask Video tutorial series that is really, really excellent. Uh, A-Rab Music doesn't do any tutorials or anything. Um, he's like way too cool for that. But you should check out A-Rab Music with, with two A's, you know, and you do have to pronounce it all ignorant to pronounce it correctly. So <laughs> it is A-Rab Music. Um, and then uh, another guy who you absolutely have to check out if you're interested in learning to produce music in Ableton Live is Mr. Bill. And he has a ton of different tutorials that are available if you go to uh, MrBillsTunes.com. But he has this series uh, called The Art of Mr. Bill where he's like, it's like 12-hour screen capture of him producing a whole track from having writer's block to like mastering it. And it's amazing. Like he even makes a Skype call with his mastering engineer and like it's just awesome. And it's totally for free on YouTube. So um, definitely check out Mr. Bill. Uh, as well and djtechtools.com is where you can get uh, midi fighters i think they stock livid stuff too um, but you can get midi fighters there and then there's lots of free sound packs and then uh, uh, if you go to illgates.com there's a free section with tons of free stuff that you can check out there including like workshops and um, you know sound packs that you can download and just like get your hands dirty right away Uh, Mad Ma Zach. Yeah, Mad Zach and Jeremy Ellis. Those are the two main guys for teaching uh, finger drumming and you know programming for sound packs, right? Uh, but you should also definitely uh, check out you know Arab Music is fantastic finger drummer. Uh, and then just for learning in terms of like just learning the workflow of like a modern producer, check out Mr. Bill and MrBillsTunes.com. Uh, Tom Cosm, C-O-S-M, is also a really good person to check out for Ableton. And then I have like a ton of music tools and sound packs and tutorials available at illgates.com. Uh, many of them are free. Uh, there's a free section, I think. So, yeah, go check that out. Uh, I'm a huge, I'm a huge <laughs> George Clinton fan. Uh, he's definitely uh, in my heart. He was not a direct inspiration for the haircut, but he is a direct inspiration for my life. Cool. Any uh, any other last uh, I think, questions? I think we're out of time here. So. Okay. Cool. All right. All thank right, you. Thank you so time. much for coming. Lots of love, everyone. Uh, yeah, you should say hi. Hi. Woo! I said music summit. Yeah. Fun <laughs> times. All right. Thank you.